Duke's mail. Do you get it? Because only the ones that get it really get it. Your friends get it. Your mom gets it. Your grandma gets it. Your neighbors get it. Sometimes a dog gets it. Get out of there. What else? Uh, your potato salads get it. BLTs get it. Tailgates get it. And restaurants get it, too. By now, even you probably get it. So get it today. Made without any sugar since 1917, Duke's is that little southern something that makes good things better. Get Duke's. It's got twang. This episode of the Beer Guys Radio Show is brought to you by Reformation Brewery. Visit their brand new tasting room in downtown Woodstock, Georgia and sample a variety of craft beers or visit ReformationBrewery.com to see what's on tap. We're joined this week by Alan Sprintz, founder of Hair of the Dog Brewing Company in Portland, Oregon. Alan founded his brewery in 1993 and rather than offer the same old pale ales and porters, he started out with more extreme beers. His first beer, Adam, is a 10% Old World L that initially confused beer drinkers with its unique style. Eventually, people took to his beers and lines formed for each new release. We talk with Alan about the definition of extreme beers and how that's changed over the years, the biggest challenges facing new brewers today, brewing around the world, his $800 bottle offering, and why he chose to keep his brewery small. We hope you enjoy tab grab a seat and pour a pint it's time for the beer guys radio show you want free beer go to the brewery dedicated to the art science and enjoyment of craft beer yeah what's wrong with the beer we got now here are your hosts tim dennis and brian hewitt and welcome to the beer guys radio show we are radio for the local craft beer movement we're broadcasting live from the Beer Guys Radio Studios at Ironmonger Brewing in Marietta, Georgia. I'm Tim Dennis. And I'm Brian Hewitt. This week, we're talking with Alan Sprintz, the founder of Portland, Oregon's Hair of the Dog Brewing Company. Alan, thanks for joining us. Well, thanks for having me, guys. We really appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule there, I'm sure. Lots coming up for you. 25th anniversary coming up soon. Hard to so believe. I'm, I'm sure you have plenty to do right now, right? Well, I, I've been getting some uh, more help from my family recently, but uh, yeah, it's amazing uh, how many beers we've uh, been collecting over since the 20th anniversary. That's uh, we actually have a 20th anniversary. We actually have beer. A, 20, yes. a 20th anniversary here to enjoy tonight, so uh, we're looking forward to that. So, any interesting events over this uh, last week or so for you? Any interesting beers that you have tried? Uh, well, I just got back from Denver. It's been a week or so, but it's been a pretty quick week. And I judged uh, there uh, quite a few interesting beers. Um, it's um, nice to see all the creativity that's coming out of the beer industry these days. Yeah, absolutely. For sure. Some really good stuff. Georgia had a decent showing out there for GABF this year. We did a Lambic right. category, actually. Yeah. We got a medal there. So. Uh, very, very cool. So, Brian, a busy week for you and I. Very. As always, as we mentioned, uh, Atlanta Brewing Company celebrated their 25th anniversary, so we had to go celebrate with them, Brian. We absolutely we did. We had to drink yes. some of their beers. Really great beers. So they did actually a whole month of anniversary celebrations. They did collaborations with breweries throughout the southeast, uh, some mead collaborations and they such. They did. And then this Saturday was kind of the culmination of all that there at the brewery. Uh, they did that. And then Sunday – 
you actually you you were a trooper this week, Brian. I went back. You went for, back for the hangover yes. party on Sunday, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, I I did, and I thought about it for a long while, and then decided I had to do it because of those those hype whale variants coming yeah, out, the uh, brasserie, <laughs> the chocolate coffee cake, and that banana peanut butter pancake hype whale. Madness, yes. total madness. So, and if that was enough, it was Zwanza Day. That's right. So we got to go down to the Porter <laughs> Beer Bar here in Atlanta. Enjoy. I'm going to say enjoy that. It was really nice. Boy, that was packed out, man. It Lots really of was. people in there to sip on those loons. Busy day. And then we decided to pop over to Deer Beer Garden here in Atlanta for some German Eats. And we got a kind of a cool honor there, Brian. We you did. Want to tell yes. folks about that? Yeah, we were sitting there. We were ordering our German food, and they came up to us and said, hey, you know, you guys know beer. Would you like to tap the ceremonial keg? And we're like, okay, yes. And it wound up being me hammering well, in the uh, the tap in yeah, that ceremonial. Yeah. Uh, was it a Polliner Oktoberfest Wiesen that they were? Which was really nice. Really, was, was, I, I figured, Brian, I'd man the camera on that because you definitely have more of the beard. I have the beard for, for beer it, tapping yes. there. So we decided <laughs> to put you on. My hammer technique was good. Four taps. It was, man. I'm uh, in league with the average for and, the Munich uh, mayors that do And that. I'll be honest, yeah. I think your tap holder was just a little light on that when he straightened it up there you you drove it on in oh yeah that was a great yeah. job you tapped the heck out of that keg right ozapt is Tim. yes ozapt absolutely is. so you know tim i think it's time for truck and taps beers of the week crack open a cold one it's the truck and tap beer of the week Woo-hoo! craft beer and food trucks in downtown woodstock truck and tap.com well, Brian, as always, we have a fantastic list of beers here to drink. We have one that we were going to drink, but I forgot to bring it to the studio, yeah. <laughs> so I apologize. That, but we are currently sipping a Hair of the Dog Fred Indeed. right now. It's a golden special ale. We have a Hair of the Dog Adam on tap, and we had we would have had a Hair of the Dog Green Dot, but I'll drink that later. We also have the Hair of the Dog Panapooch Reserva, which, uh, Alan, that is your 25th, or 20th anniversary beer. Is that right? Yeah, it is a, a beer I made with the Belgian brewery uh, Destruce. And I take it, I take it the name is a, is a little play there on a Panapot, correct? Or Panapoot? How do they pronounce it there? Well, exactly. There are two beers, Panapot and Panapoot, uh, okay. two different recipes, two different yeasts. And we brewed them uh, when Urban was here in Portland, and they uh, aged separately, one in bourbon and one in rum barrels. And then we blended them together for the anniversary beer. Fantastic. So have you had one recently? Are we in for a treat here? I actually haven't had a bottle in quite a while, but we do have a keg, uh, I think, of the Panaput. Uh, so it's just uh, half of the blend, uh, but we have uh, a keg that uh, is the last one in existence that we'll pour at our anniversary party. A tough job having to go through all those barrel-aged Absolutely. beers, Absolutely, right? yes. Absolutely. And Brian, just to – because i got to give a shout-out to us here <laughs> and the Reformation. So <laughs> as this show releases, this will be available on draft at Reformation Brewery in Woodstock, but we got to preview our Struzu beer, which is the collaboration that we did with Reformation Brewery up in Woodstock, uh, Strawberry and Yuzu Berliner. Uh, that's really nice. It's a light and balanced, a little bit of strawberry, a little bit of lemonade flavor in there. So come up, check it out. Let us know what you think, and we'll be doing a can release on that one in the future. So, Brian, what's happening this week? Get in the news. What's in the news? The beer guys have the scoop. Extra, extra, read all about it. Time for headlines. All right, Tim. Well, we got a bunch of things happening in the news. But you know, in keeping with tradition, 
Big Beard just can't catch a break. Tonight. I actually knew I figured that was coming when you said yeah, that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Lagunitas is laying off 12% of its staff, citing a slowing craft beer market. So 12% equates to around 100 jobs for Lagunitas. The layoffs will affect every department in the company, but will hit the Petaluma, California headquarters the hardest. Their CEO has compared the current craft beer market to that of the late 90s with a growth in craft beer options and competitive pressure. So their plan is to, going forward, take steps to drive their flagship IPA. But this is really interesting, the timing of these layoffs. Two months ago, Lagunitas announced that they were up 4% in dollar share and up 5% in volume as of July. So I guess this is what happens when you sell out. You simultaneously grow and cut jobs. Poor big beer. All right. Poor big beer. One day they'll catch a break. One day. Someday. So we have to talk about the controversy with Scofflaw, Brewdog, and the PR firm what named happened? Frank. Something happened. Wait, <laughs> in case you missed it, and this broke right after our last show uh, was recorded, Scofflaw and Brewdog were doing a series of events in the UK. A press release went out claiming to be from Scofflaw offering free beer to Trump supporters in the UK. Obviously, this did not go over well, and people took to social media to voice their disapproval. Brewdog's founder, James Watt, quickly tweeted that all events were canceled and that the beer had been returned. In an unexpected twist, Scofflaw was quick to point out that they didn't have any knowledge or offer their consent for the press release prior to it being released. Eventually, a PR firm in the UK named Frank apologized and accepted responsibility for it, blaming a rogue element in the firm. But this is only after Scofflaw got their lawyers involved, apparently. Correct. So the future of the Scofflaw-Brewdog relationship is up in the air. But I know that uh, Scofflaw is contractually brewing some of their beers at Brewdog That's in, right. up in yeah. Ohio. So. I talked to Matt Shire while he was still in London. He was locked in his motel room in London. Uh, because he said yeah. <laughs> of all the threats that he was receiving. And, uh, you know, he said from the get-go that they didn't have anything to do with this. And he requested Frank to post a, an apology and a retraction. And they told him, we won't do that unless you sign away all your legal rights. He said, I'm not I'm not doing that. So, and I did ask him about the relationship going forward. And like you said, he's like, we just don't know. You know, there's a contract in place for the brewing. But, you know, these guys were becoming buddies and they were shooting TV shows together and all that. And he's just not sure you know, at that time where the relationship was going to go from there. Yeah, it ended very quickly that the, the tweet went out, we're done. They apologized to a number of people and they moved on. That was Brewdog it. Brewdog just Quick. forgot that that was happening yeah. and just never talked about it again. So New Jersey has taken a huge step backwards in brewery laws. In 2012, New Jersey passed an amendment that recognized breweries' right to sell beer on site for consumption and to take away, you know, the on-site sales were tied to the ridiculous tour concept, but they, the breweries did well. They thrived. They uh, adhered to the laws, continued to grow. They started doing events and attract regulars. Well, the legal masterminds on the receiving end of lobbyist donations decided that these laws were not intended to allow breweries to establish new consumption venues with the same privileges as sports bars and restaurants. So they limited those events strictly. However, there's an update to that. This week, the New Jersey Governor Phil Murphy says that the new rules took him by surprise and his administration is looking into it. They're not sure this is a sensible step to take because craft beer uh, has really taken off in the state and it's a source of local pride. So things can change. But until then, congratulations, New Jersey. Your new beer laws make you an honorary member of the South, and we're sending you a tanker full of collard greens as a welcome gift. Tanker full. But it'll be enjoyable. And, you know, it's good that the governor caught it because a lot of yeah. times this stuff can slide through. It's uh, it's good that he said, no, this isn't right. Let's take a look at it because we've seen all too well here that sometimes that hammer drops and there's not a whole lot you can do about it. Exactly. Yeah. Well, you're listening to the Beer Guys radio show. We do need to take a break, but we'll be back very soon to talk with Alan Sprintz from Hair of the Dog Brew. 
Brian and Tim, the beer guys. If you're like us, no lunch or dinner is complete without a pint or two of craft beer. Which is why Truck and Tap in downtown Woodstock, Alpharetta, and Duluth are always on our list. Tim, why do they call it Truck and Tap? Well, the tap part is easy, Brian. They've got 18 of them. As for the truck part, that's where it gets interesting. Truck and Tap features your favorite Atlanta-area food trucks, so you're getting a different menu every day. Truck and Tap in downtown Woodstock, Alpharetta, and Duluth. Truckandtap.com. Let them know that the beer guys sent you. Craft beer forged with a reverence for tradition and new styles that start a revolution. Ironmonger Brewing. The brewers at Ironmonger Brewing pride themselves at being masters of barrel-aged, hoppy, and sour beers. They invite you to their tap room in Marietta, Georgia to taste and see. Also visit their barrel room for an intimate drinking experience with great live entertainment. Keep up to date on all things Ironmonger by liking them on Facebook. Ironmonger Brewing, establishing a new standard in craft beer. Follow the Beer Guys on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Boy, that escalated quickly. I mean, that really got out of hand fast. Now, back to the Beer Guys Radio Show. And welcome back to the Beer Guys Radio Show. For more great craft beer info, visit us on the web at beerguysradio.com. We're broadcasting from the Beer Guys Radio studios at Ironmonger Brewing, and we're talking with Alan Sprints from Hair of the Dog Brewery. Alan, once again, thank you for talking with us this week and uh, for making delicious beers for 25 years. you got a lot of people into craft beer. That's nice to think. So we're, we're sipping Fred right now, like we mentioned earlier. Can you tell us a little bit about this beer? Sure. Uh, Fred is um, brewed in honor of a beer writer who lived here in Portland, Fred Eckhart. A uh, big inspiration for me and, and a lot of people wrote a lot of uh, books and articles on beer in the late 60s and 70s and through the 80s. And really, I think, uh, was responsible for a lot of the craft beer we see in this country today. Um, even around the world, when I travel, people have heard of Fred. But I wanted to do something nice for Fred, so I said, you know, what kind of ingredients do you like? And we talked about beers, and so Fred, uh, as a beer, is basically kind of an amped-up Belgian uh, strong ale uh, with more hops, so kind of an amped-up duvel, a hoppy duvel. Um, back uh, 25 years ago when I visited Belgium, um, hops were uh, a very minor part of Belgian brewing. Uh, nowadays, there are uh, beers that have more of a, a hot profile, but um, Fred was uh, unusual at the time. Uh, nowadays, it might have been classified as a triple IPA. Triple IPA. Yeah, yeah seriously. A lot, of these, uh, a lot of these styles that kind of broke the trends there, uh, you know, for styles that didn't exist at the time. Absolutely. So. Yeah, and that's one of the issues that I face is that my beers aren't really in, classified neatly into boxes, and so... Uh, they're all individuals that all have names like Fred, uh, and uh, you don't really know what to expect from an individual. We're all unique. Right, which isn't a problem if you're just serving beer in your tap room. That becomes an issue if you go to GABF or for a homebrew, uh, you know, a BJCP competition, and they want to put exactly. it in a box there. So yeah. that becomes troublesome. So just to back up a little bit, because I assumed – you know, folks know you, know your name, know your brewery. But for those that are not familiar, Alan is the founder of Hair, Hair of the Dog Brewing Company in Portland, Oregon. Uh, as we mentioned briefly, uh, 1993 opened, going to celebrate his 25th anniversary soon. And uh, Alan, and correct me if I'm wrong, but you started out as a chef and those hours are a little bit too crazy for you. And you got into brewing and 
said, hey, I can do this myself and, and get a little better schedule out of it. Is that correct? Yeah, you know, it's a, it's a hard way to make a living and have a family working nights and weekends and holidays uh, cooking. And so I thought brewing would be a, um, a more predictable way to make a living. But I ended up working seven at night till three in the morning making <laughs> sure. beers that I really didn't enjoy. And so I thought if this was what my life was going to be, I could do it on my own and try to make beers that I really enjoyed drinking. At the time, uh, most breweries had, uh, you know, five beers on their menu, uh, a pale ale, an IPA, a fruit beer, a stout, and um, made made strong beers at holiday time. So I thought if I made those holiday beers year round, I'd have a place uh, in the market. Unfortunately, people only drank those beers at holiday time. So it took a little bit of education on my part to teach people that you can have a strong beer uh, in all times of the year. It doesn't have to be Christmas. I was just taking a sip of the uh, the Fred earlier thinking this is such a quintessential Oregon beer, uh, Portland beer. It, it takes me back from when I was there. I'm like, wow, this is a this is something that you don't, I don't taste very often, something like this. A little home. You're tearing up a little yeah, bit Yeah, just getting there, a little you, misty Brian? over That's here. Beautiful. Yeah, yeah. That's beautiful. But, so you've been doing this for so long. Tell us, what does it take to be a brewer? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I normally tell people when they ask me what it uh, takes to open a brewery, uh, I tell them they have to bang themselves in the head a few times and, and uh, I guess lose their senses. And that's the answer I was hoping for. Yeah. <laughs> you know, for me, it was a case of I really didn't know what I was up against. And so I just charged ahead. Uh, if I would have really known what I was up against and, uh, you know, the real landscape, uh, I might never have started the brewery. Uh, I was very small when I started. I still am very small, but it's um, hard competing with a, large, a lot of large companies and not really having the money to, to compete. And so um, the kind of beers that I made kind of forced me into uh, staying small and selling a little bit of beer in a lot of different places. And so we sold beer in, I think, 12 or 15 different states uh, a few years into our business. Now we're only in about a handful, um, but I do travel a bit. And so we're able to brew beer around the world. Uh, in the last uh, couple of years, I've made Fred uh, in uh, some really really great breweries, uh, one in Japan, one in Belgium, wow. uh, London. Uh, we just brewed uh, most recently, I guess, at Siren Brewing uh, in London. Uh, in Japan, uh, they didn't think Fred was formal enough name for the beer, so they actually called it Eckhart. Okay. Really? Not okay. I could see that. You know, I, I wouldn't have thought about it, but now that you say it, uh, that makes sense just based on what I know about Japanese culture. I was going to say the naming scheme, I think the surname – comes before your first name in some Asian countries, if I remember correctly. So little, twofold gives a little more formal yeah. name and fits to the fits to the, to the style. Yeah. Very interesting. Yeah. So it's nice that we can kind of play around. Yeah, absolutely. No, I was going to say, so these beers, you know, back in, in 93, we'll look at something like this now. and may not think it's that extreme, so to speak, but I would think that in at least at the time you launched these, you were in Portland, which was probably a better place to be than about any other to go this route, correct? Yeah, I mean, we have a very educated consumer base. Uh, the beer drinkers here in Portland have been exposed to small <clears throat> breweries, beers for quite a while. Uh, so we got a lot of support from the beer drinker here in Portland early on. 
Uh, and if it wasn't for that, uh, we really wouldn't have been able to make it. Uh, it's that uh, direct connection that we have with the consumer, I think, that's really uh, helped us survive and has given us a, such a strong consumer base. Um, we haven't really paid for advertising. We really rely on people uh, who enjoy what we do to talk to other people about what we do. And that's worked out pretty well so far. What was the overall beer scene like in 90? Because in Georgia, it was like, I think we had one or two breweries. And that oh, was yeah. it. When you first started out, how was the beer scene there already? I think there was probably 15 breweries here in the city of Portland when I started. Uh, McMiniman Brothers uh, had a chain of brew pubs and they had quite a few breweries. Uh, of course, Bridgeport and Widmer and Portland Brewing sure. uh, were large here in, in Portland. Um, but Compared to now, I think there's almost 100 breweries here in the city now. That's, so it's changed quite a bit. And uh, every year there's five to ten new breweries that open up. So it's kind of tougher to get people's attention. That's crazy. When, when I think about it over in Georgia, we, over the entire state, we might have, what, 80 breweries? I think we have, if you count breweries and brew pubs, I think it we're at 83 or 84. 83. Right and that's yeah. the entire state. And you're talking pretty much just the Portland area, right? With the hundred, exactly, just the city limits of Portland. That's crazy. Uh, so, uh, it probably has gotten to a point where there's enough breweries now. There's enough beer for everybody, uh, and there's not only the breweries that are here in Portland, but there are breweries in other cities across the country who want to sell their beer here in Portland. So, competition uh, has uh, exponentially increased. It was difficult when I started because most bars only had one or two handles for a small brewery's beer. Uh, and they were already occupied with the big small breweries. Uh, but nowadays, uh, bars have 20 or 30 handles. But I think there's there could be a thousand different uh, breweries trying to sell beer here in Portland. Yeah, and we've seen that here in Georgia. We've Really, we've just seen our spurt the last three to five years, Yeah, really. And, you know, we have some world-class bars here. We have Brickstore Pub. We have the Porter Beer Bar. A couple of newcomers like Argosy, they're here. Uh, but they mentioned when they started their uh, their bars, you know, they, they could just have a huge selection of beers and several taps, you know, for a given brewery. But uh, over the years is that's, there's been so much more options. Some of these that were, that had several taps at, at one point, they lose some of their taps, not because they don't have any love for that, but because there's so many other choices and people want those choices now. They're fighting to keep one or yep. two. Yeah, absolutely. So you're listening to the Beer Guys Radio Show. We do need to take another quick break, but we'll be back very soon to talk more with Alan from Hair of the Dog Brewer. Looking for a great way to promote your business? CedarStream has what you need. For apparel, stickers, signs, and banners, we're your one-stop shop. There are never any art fees or setup fees. And if you need your items quickly, there's no additional charge for rush orders. Whether you own a brewery, bar, bottle shop, or other business, CedarStream is ready to serve you. Visit cedarstream.com for more info or call 800-686-7488 for immediate assistance. CedarStream. We print America. We are Reformation Brewery, celebrating the reformer in you. Locally crafted within the renowned Etowah watershed of Woodstock, Georgia, Reformation creates yeast-forward brews full of aroma and flavor crafted to last. 
Come see us in beautiful Woodstock, Georgia, for a tour and tasting of unique brews that you can't find anywhere else. Reformation Brewery. Set beer free. ReformationBrewery.com. Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. I believe you have my stapler. Now, back to the Beer Guys Radio Show. Welcome back to the Beer Guys Radio Show. I want to give a quick shout-out to one of our great radio affiliates, KFLS 1450 AM in Kalamath Falls, Oregon. Catch Beer Guys Radio on KFLS every Saturday at 7 p.m. and Sunday at 1 p.m. We're broadcasting from the Beer Guys Radio studios at Ironmonger Brewing, and we're talking with Alan Sprintz, founder of Hair of the Dog Brewing Company. Brian, real quick before we get back into the interview, I want folks to know something. So we made a Halloween T-shirt this year. We did. We made a hoppy Halloween T-shirt. It has the VGR hop bat on it. Yeah. It's a, So it's a bat that looks like a hop cone or a hop cone that looks like a bat. Yeah. And it says hoppy Halloween on it. But we're going to be selling those for a couple of weeks. They're going to go fast. It's going to be a limited one. But those are available on our website at beerguysradio.com. Just click store right there at the top and get your Hoppy Halloween T-shirt. Perfect for partying, you know, keg parties, beer releases through the Halloween Halloween season, beer bottle shares, whatever you yeah. need to do. But get them while you can. Absolutely. All right. So, Alan, did I hear correctly? Did I read correctly that you're still using the same brewing equipment that you started the brewery with? Yeah. Well, at least the brewing equipment is the same. The fermenters I've upgraded. Um, uh, probably about five years into to business, uh, but we still brew on the same four barrel, five hectoliter system. Um, our fermenters are bigger now, so we can brew five times into one fermenter. Okay, so why not? Uh, why not upgrade to a you know a newer or a larger you know brewing system than you than you have right now? Is there a reason behind that? Well, I really never wanted to have a beer factory, uh, and so we enjoy <clears throat> the hands-on brewing part of it. And if I invested more money in a bigger system, then I'd have to sell more beer, and then we'd have salesmen, and you know everything changes. So uh, early on, I kind of had an idea of what I wanted, and something small and manageable is uh, you know really what I wanted to have, not not some uh, a big business necessarily. So after uh, uh, 25 years of this, do you get to do or still choose to do a lot of the brewing on your own? Well, uh, I'm, uh, you know, I guess not as physically fit as I used to be, so I'm not actually able to do as much of the brewing as I used to do. Uh, it's pretty physically demanding. But uh, my son actually is the head brewer now. Okay. And so I, I have two brewers, uh, and when we brew, they'll split a 24-hour shift between them. Um, so I, there was a time where I did that all by myself, and I wow. would brew 24 hours in a row. Uh, so we sure. you know when you're starting out and you don't really have money for payroll, you have to do what it takes to make ends meet. And so there was a lot of years that were uh, very lean, and uh, I worked really hard trying to to uh, you know create the business we have now. And that's something you know to find kind of this is what I wanted to stay there because you know I'm sure if you chose to expand and grow bigger and that there's there's definitely the demand there for your beers you know to do that, but. Uh, to understand this is what I want. This is where I'm happy operating and stay there because it's, I know I'd be tempted to follow the dollars. You know, if you sure. see you can sell the beer, it, it would be tempting to 
get a bigger brew house, make more beer to get those sales guys in there. And so I've kind of decided to, uh, you know, travel around the world and use beer as an excuse to travel and then brew beers in other places. Uh, uh, in the end of August, we were in uh, Bamberg, Germany, and we brewed uh, Adam beer with uh, Gonstaller, a brewery there in, in Bamberg, and Narke, which is a Swedish brewery. And so the three of us got together and made Adam beer in Germany. And so for me, it was kind of full circle. The very first beer that I made as a professional brewer, a German beer, brewing it in Germany in a, a five-level brew house with a cool ship on top and uh, plenty and plenty of stairs. <laughs> yeah. Brian, you mentioned Adam beer. I think you have a story uh, about Adam beer, don't you? I, I do, actually. Uh, a fun story. I have a friend in Portland named Adam who sent me your Adam beer a few years back, and I have another friend in Atlanta named Adam, and he had a birthday. And on that birthday, we opened a bottle of Adam, so I drank an Adam from Adam with Adam, and that is my Adam reception wow. story. That's that's a lot of Adam. Crazy. Yes. <laughs> so, and it really happened. <laughs> that's something. Now, we've talked a lot about you being there 25 years, Alan, and you know what you do and how you've uh, you know chosen to grow in that, but you're just getting close to having your actual 25th anniversary celebration. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're able to uh, uh, look back and, and uh, say that 25 years ago, we started the brewery and uh, celebrate the good times, I guess. Uh, even though I talk about how, how tough it was during certain times, all those uh, great memories of, of people coming to the brewery to try beers or people telling me that they had tried one of my beers to celebrate a special occasion really make it worthwhile. Uh, when I was young, I really never knew what I wanted to do when I grew up, but I kind of knew I wanted to make something, and uh, cooking really uh, was fun, and uh, I'm glad that I know how to cook, but uh, I'm much happier owning a restaurant than working in one, uh, <laughs> and the, the, brewing, the brewing has been a place where I've been able to really kind of uh, explore some creativity uh, and make some things that were, weren't around before. Um, I mentioned that uh, we're releasing a new beer called Don. Uh, Don was a guy who owned a bar here in Portland called the Horse Brass, which uh -huh. uh, is famous for being one of the first bars to really introduce people to uh, beers from small breweries. And uh, Don passed away a few years ago, uh, and we've uh, made a beer, uh, a double barley wine that's uh, aged in uh, many different kinds of barrels and uh, is um, very smooth and rich, uh, almost like a port, um, aged for about a year and a half uh, in wood. And uh, that should be out uh, in the next few weeks. Well, that is, in fact, the first place I ever had yes. a hair of a dog uh, beer. Was I had Fred at the Horse Brass Pub. That was uh, an institution back in the day. So that's, uh, it, that's, pretty, that's pretty incredible, actually. When I started the brewery, I was under the impression that everybody was like Don and wanted to expose their customers to things that were new and unique and different and were very excited about beer. Uh, the reality is there's only a handful of those kind of people in every state. Right. Most people uh, are more interested in, in making a profit and selling what's popular and uh, not really interested in the education part of it. Uh, and Don really gave a lot of uh, brewers a leg up and some support and helped a lot of uh, people get exposed to those beers. You know, when you see somebody that's really passionate 
about the product they're creating and sharing that with the public and that that's, you know, there's people that are passionate about their business, like you said, growing a business and that, but sure. someone who's legitimately passionate about the beer and, and what they're looking at, Jason Pellet from Orpheus Brewing here in Atlanta that we yeah. talked about. When you sit down and talk with Jason, whether he's tasting your homebrew or his and talking about the the details of it, it's just, you can tell that that he loves the beer of it. You know, he loves it for the community, the education and the beer. And it's a, it's a cool thing. It's, it's great talking to people, Alan, like you and Jason uh, about this type of thing. It definitely is. Well, he, he was just in Portland, I think, recently. And he I have was. a couple of beers he sitting sure on was, the table yes. here. Yeah, he said he dropped some beers off for yeah. you, I think. We, in, we Yeah, yeah, I have, I have two beers to try. I'll let him know. We actually invited <laughs> him to join us tonight, and he said he had another another commitment. He was disappointed. That's a small he world did say, nowadays. He did he say to say hi, I think. I, actually, I think he so. did. And so hi from Jason. Yes, Alan, hi from Jason. Say hi. That, that's great. That's great. I have to thank him for the beers. Yeah, will do. So back on track, uh, you've been called the godfather of extreme beer. What makes a beer extreme to you, and how has that changed over the past 25 years? Well, 25 years ago, my first beer was Adam, and it's a 10% alcohol dark beer with a little bit of smokiness. Uh, And uh, 25 years ago, people used to taste it and put the glass down and ask me what the hell that was. Yeah. uh, I think that you know some of the nicest compliments I've gotten are this tastes great, but it doesn't taste like beer. Uh, and um, Adam is not as unusual as it was. Uh, strong beers aren't as unusual uh, as they were. Everybody wanted to put all the strong beers in the barley wine category, and now uh, we have many kinds of, of strong beers. And so that's really changed a lot. Education uh, was very uphill at the beginning. And now there's so many breweries everywhere you go that uh, almost everywhere people are are very educated about beer uh, and excited about it. So that makes it easier to sell. Yeah, absolutely. That's something, you know, when we we started the beer scene here, you know, I can remember when a a light lager or a a pale ale was the only thing that you'd get your hands on. And just seeing the the huge variety here of beers, it's exciting as a craft beer consumer for sure. Yeah, it's a great time to be a beer drinker. Absolutely. Uh, But it's still an exciting time to be a brewer Uh, in other countries. I mentioned we brewed in, in Bamberg. They're very, very controlled, and they, they can't add anything that's not in Rhein Eiskabot. Uh, and you should see the look of horror uh, in the German brewer's eyes when the Swedish brewer brought out a bag of herbs he'd collected <laughs> and like, said, no. let's add this at the end. <laughs> You're listening to the Beer Guys Radio Show, and we'll be back with more from Alan Sprints of Hair of the Dog right after this. Are you thinking about opening a brewery in the Atlanta area? If so, take a look at the park at Georgetown. This unique community will feature a collection of restaurants as well as a craft brewery within the new JW Homes luxury development, Dunwoody Green. Conveniently located less than half a mile from I-285, this enclave of restaurants will be the gathering place in Dunwoody. Krim and Associates, the developer of the park at Georgetown, wants to talk to you. For more information, call Todd Semrau at 404-226-6526. Craft beer forged with a reverence for tradition and new styles that start a revolution. Ironmonger Brewing. The brewers at Ironmonger Brewing pride themselves at being masters of barrel-aged, hoppy, and sour beers. They invite you to their tap room in Marietta, Georgia to taste and see. Also visit their barrel room for an intimate drinking experience with great live entertainment. Keep up to date on all things Ironmonger by liking them on Facebook. Ironmonger Brewing. Establishing a new standard in craft beer.
the beer guys on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Back off, man. I'm a scientist. Now, back to the Beer Guys Radio Show. Welcome back to the Beer Guys Radio Show. Make sure to follow us on the socials, Beer Guys Radio on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We're broadcasting from the Beer Guys Radio studios at Ironmonger Brewing, and we're talking with Hair of the Dog Brewing. So, Alan, I have a question for you. Talking about uh, brewery growth here, because uh, you've seen plenty of it, I'm sure, in 25 years, but the Brewers Association says it's, I think the words they use are technical certainty, that the U.S. will hit 7,000 breweries by the end of the year and as many as 9,000 breweries within two years. So with the growth we've already seen in the last few years, what do you think the biggest challenges will be for new breweries entering the market? Well, um, differentiating themselves, I guess, from everybody else. There's been so many beers, uh, and it's hard to invent new styles. Um, I think that uh, the classic style's done really well is what is going to carry people through. And it's also the love of beer. I think there are a lot of people who are jumping on the bandwagon, so to speak, because it looks like a trendy business, a profitable business. But the reality is that it's a very hard business, uh, and you you have to enjoy what you're doing, uh, or else it's not going to last. Absolutely. Now, talking about extreme beers, do you think with some of this stuff that's being done now, are people getting too extreme out there, Alan? Um, a <laughs> loaded question, right? <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, it's everybody's cup of tea. Uh, I I'm guilty of, um, doing the same thing. And so somebody who adds glitter to their beer to get uh, a picture in the paper, uh, is not really that much difference than, uh, the high alcohol beers that I make. Although I like to think that the reason I'm making the high alcohol beers is for their flavor and not because of the way they look. Um, and so, uh, in, to each his own, uh, I, I guess I've learned to kind of keep my mouth shut a little bit and, uh, let everybody do what they want. I, I always learn new things. And so I shouldn't be very quick to say something else isn't uh, necessarily right. But, uh, I think there are still beers that we haven't made. Uh, people haven't experienced, uh, we've been working with a, a concrete fermenter for the last uh, few years uh, with the same beer recipes that we make in our stainless steel tanks. Uh, And it's a way of changing beer flavor um, that is pretty popular in the wine world, but it's new in the beer world. Uh, There are some breweries that are actually having these concrete tanks made with rocks from the grounds where the the brewery is at. Um, It's kind of a more holistic approach to the whole thing. And I think there are are new techniques that that haven't even been thought of yet. But I think here in in Oregon, where we see a a really superated, saturated beer market, uh, some of the best beers are really just classic beers that are made just exceptionally well. So you mentioned that uh, the the uh, the stone barrels or whatever is that is that's the from the stone line of beers that you make, right? Exactly. So what impact is you know fermenting or aging a beer on? Is it concrete or what yeah, is? The tank is solid concrete. Okay. Uh, it's about forty five hundred pounds of concrete. It holds about five hundred gallons of liquid. Uh, and the shape of the vessel is like a big egg. And so okay. the shape, uh, there are no corners, and, and it keeps yeast in suspension longer. Uh, so things ferment a little faster. Uh, I think it gives beer a smoother, rounder flavor, richer flavor uh, than you get in the stainless. Does it maybe um, soften the water a bit, like uh, minerals f- somehow from the concrete or something like that? Or There's definitely a minerality 
that uh, you get from the beer. And originally, I started using these tanks more as an aging vessels, and I think the minerality was too much. And now we use them just for their fermentation uh, contribution. Uh, but yeah, you know, they're 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 semi-porous, and so there's some breathing that goes on. Uh, it's a different kind of material. Uh, who knows what other kind of materials? Uh, oak is a very popular material for barrels, but there sure. could be other woods that could contribute. Uh, more unique flavors that we're not using now. So we have a brewery locally that uses an amphora, and I forget the exact material. I think, I think it's, it's like clay. a clay. I think they're yeah. clay. A clay right. material. Have you tried using an amphora? Or no, I've I seen them. Though. That would be similar to what you're doing, right? Yeah, they're just not quite as big. My tank actually has uh, fittings on it, and so it's easy to to brew with. Uh, amphoras normally uh, don't have any fittings, and you have to siphon beer out of. Uh, this vessel, uh, but yeah. it's quite interesting, you know, using different types of vessels for fermentation uh, and different types of uh, microbes for fermentation. So there's a lot of very interesting beers that are wild done with just native microbes that are popping up around the country. I think the M4s here at Southern Brewing are what, maybe four feet tall, Brian, four or five feet tall, maybe about that. a couple feet around. So they're not huge vessels. And I think they're pretty fragile too. They yes, seem to have them all be... border, uh, thinking like big green eggs so you're That's, afraid yeah, of breaking them like but a big uh, green egg. Don't yeah bust them. but it did <laughs> like you mentioned alan with the minerality it adds a nice softness and minerality to the beers that they've aged in them and it's interesting to see all these alternative materials and i can't remember the name of it what is the wood that dogfish head uses for their I think they got a food or Santa Maron or Santa Maron. Palo Santa Maron is the name of the beer. And I think the, it's Mm -hmm. one the wood is part of that Maron wood or Santa Mm -hmm. Maron, whatever the wood is, but it, it imparts a very unique flavor compared to, you know, Oak wood that, uh, that we're all used to tasting in our beers. So I think there's still more uh, potential for beer. I don't think we've seen the last of uh, new beer styles. That's well, we've seen just recently the brood IPAs that have kind of came on the scene, you know, and uh, I would have thought that every iteration of ITA, IPA had been done, but then they find, you know, little little variations to it. So Absolutely. So we cannot uh, not talk about Dave. I, I Tell us about Dave. I, I think it's safe to say that that might be the, the highest ABV uh, quote unquote beer that you've ever produced, right? Yeah, I think so. Um, it... Um, was an experiment way back when, uh, kind of a teaching aid. Uh, I would taste people on the beers that we normally sell, and then I would pull Dave out and taste them. And uh, it was a way of making people think about beer in, in different ways. And beer can be something they hadn't thought about before. Um, and so at that time, Dave was you know, something that nobody had ever tasted. Nowadays, there are uh, at least a handful of beers that are similar to it, but it was uh, made by freezing. So we concentrate the alcohol and sugars together uh, instead of uh, steam distillation where you just remove the alcohol. Uh, so it made a, a very balanced beer with flavor, although when it was young, it was hot and alcoholic and, and extremely hard to drink. Uh, but then as it aged, it really turned into something quite beautiful. Imagine uh, that it, for a 30% beer. Who would have thought? Yeah, so thought. alcoholic. <laughs> so smooth. So smooth. And but it's so, still uh, an interesting beverage. Uh, we probably sell a bottle every two or three months. So, uh, did, did you ever produce beyond the first batch? Are you still making that? Or is that just no, a one and done type batch. of thing? Really? Yeah. Yeah. So now it's uh, 20 three years old, 24 years old. Wow. Uh, and, uh, you know, people come looking for it. 
So we don't really have it on the menu anymore. You have to ask for it if you want it. But it still has a reputation. And, you know, it makes me happy that something that I produced so long ago is still uh, sought after. So if we come up there to your brewery and we want to get a bottle of it, that's probably going to set us back at least like 25 or $30, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, uh, yes, at least. <laughs> right now we're selling it for $800 a bottle. You, you know what? That sounds like a deal compared to a lot of articles I'd read about it. So Yeah, we were selling it. thousand or so? Yeah. Yeah, it was $1,500 on the menu a couple of years ago. Uh, but I felt bad. That was so much money. I still feel bad. It, it's a lot of money, but uh, <laughs> yeah. there aren't that many bottles. There aren't that many bottles left. I get it. It's rare. I mean, it's rarity. rarity. It's an experience yeah. beer. It's not just any old beer there. So a uh, quick question. We're, we're nearly out of time here, Alan, but I had a question. I know Brian wants to know, you had mentioned something about pairing cigars with, uh, with your beer. So are you a cigar guy? Oh yeah, sure. I love cigars. What uh, Brian is a huge cigar guy, used to be, but not so much now. But what are some of your uh, favorite cigar and beer pairings? Well, you know, the stronger beers, uh, dark beers. I don't know if there's any uh, necessarily perfect cigar and beer together pairings. Uh, but when we first started the brewery, uh, we saw an advertisement for a cigar tasting, and they were serving wine. And we called them up, and they said, and we said, you know, uh, I'm sure wine is fine with cigars, but beer is even better. And so we brought Adam beer uh, to the cigar pairing. And uh, Adam beer is a real strong cigar beer. Uh, it goes with lots of different types of cigars. Uh, it really coats the mouth, you know, in between uh, drags. And I think that's an important part uh, of the beer. It can't really be too harsh or, or it doesn't uh, soothe the mouth as much. And the slightly smoky component. Oh, yeah, it absolutely it helps it as well. Absolutely yeah. Does, yeah. Sounds delicious. Absolutely. Alan, thank you so much for talking to us today. We really appreciate it. We've really enjoyed talking with you while sipping through some of your beers here. So thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. That about wraps it up for this episode of the Beer Guys Radio Show. Coming up next week, we'll be talking about the state of the craft beer industry with Bart Watson, who is the chief economist at the Brewers Association. Remember to subscribe to Beer Guys Radio on iTunes, your favorite podcasting app, and please do leave us a review. If you really enjoy the show, consider supporting us on Patreon. Just go to patreon.com slash beerguys. Our patrons get early access to all shows, exclusive content, and some really cool swag. Thanks again for tuning in. Have a great week, and don't forget to drink local. Cheers. Duke's Mail. Do you get it? Because only the ones that get it really get it. Your friends get it. Your mom gets it. Your grandma gets it. Your neighbors get it. Sometimes a dog gets it. Get out of there. What else? Uh, your potato salads get it. BLTs get it. Tailgates get it. And restaurants get it, too. By now, even you probably get it. So get it today. Made without any sugar since 1917, Duke's is that little southern something that makes good things better. Get Duke's. It's got twang.